Several more women than I had even known about on my father's side had the BRCA1 genetic mutation. I would say that women should think about what's best for them and what feels comfortable and right to them. It's important to weigh all the advantages and disadvantages of, of the approaches. This is Voices, a Dana-Farber Cancer Institute podcast that features first-hand experiences from cancer patients. In this episode of Voices, we hear from breast cancer patients Amanda and Judy. Although they were both diagnosed with early-stage breast cancer, Amanda and Judy elected two very different surgical treatments. They discussed their surgery options and decisions, along with Dr. Terry King, Chief of Breast Surgery at the Susan F. Smith Center for Women's Cancers at Dana-Farber Brigham and Women's Cancer Center. My name is Amanda Skypeck, and I was diagnosed with stage one triple negative breast cancer when I was 33, and I received that diagnosis the very beginning of February of 2015. My name is Judy Rosenbaum. I was diagnosed with breast cancer when I was 39. I had uh, stage one when I started, when everything was all said and done. It was just over the line into stage two, ERPR positive. I was negative on all the genetic um, testing. My name is Terry King. I'm the Chief of Breast Surgery at Dana-Farber Brigham and Women's Cancer Center. I've recently joined the center, uh, having spent the last 14 years at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York City. So in October of 2014, I was visiting with my OBGYN just for an annual visit, and she was asking me about my family history of breast cancer. I knew that there was a fair amount on my father's side of the family, but I did not know all the specifics. So her instructions were, get that information and come back to me. What I found out were there were several more women than I had even known about on my father's side who not only had breast cancer, but had the BRCA1 genetic mutation. As a result of that, my OBGYN recommended the genetic testing, so I moved forward with that process and found out in January of last year that I did test positive for the genetic mutation. So automatically, in my mind, there was no doubt that I wanted to move forward with pursuing a double mastectomy, at that point thinking as a preventative measure. When I was first made aware that I had the genetic mutation, I felt as though, okay, this is great information to have now. I wish that I had known sooner. However, I'm here now and ready to move forward. So for me, making it all business and saying, I'm ready to move forward with the next steps, knowing just from speaking with the genetic counselor about my risks and how much those risks could be reduced with the double mastectomy. I knew without a doubt, and it almost surprisingly enough felt comforting knowing if I can have my breasts removed, then I'm really putting myself in such a better position. What ended up happening was I met with my surgeon to talk about the options, what would surgery look like, when did we think this was a good time to have this happen, and while she was giving me an exam, she felt a lump, and she said, could you come in tomorrow? I said, absolutely, so I came back the next day, it was a Friday, 
and I ended up having a mammogram, an ultrasound, and a biopsy all that morning. And they said, okay, we'll give you a call on Monday. You know, sit tight over the weekend, we'll call you on Monday. And I received that phone call Monday morning and they said, it is cancer and so we're gonna, we're going to move forward with the next steps and we would recommend, you know, moving up surgery, doing that sooner rather than later. Of course, as, you know, follow up to that, the recommendation was to do chemotherapy, which I ended up doing as well. So I was diagnosed almost four years ago. Um, I, um, I guess to back up, my mom had multiple myeloma, my brother had hairy cell leukemia, neither of which are related to breast cancer, um, but I asked my doctor, my primary doctor, uh, is there anything, any screening I should do? Any, um, and she thought once I hit 37, why don't we do a baseline mammogram? So I went in, it was at a different uh, institution, a different hospital, and they saw something that they were worried about, so I went back uh, every six months for two years. Uh, at the end of the two-year mark, they said that everything looked exactly the same and I could wait a year, and, and, um, and I was so relieved. And, uh, and then midway through the year, I found a lump which in hindsight probably was there all along. But because I found the lump, I had the biopsy, they said, yes, it is cancer, um, and then had to weigh whether uh, to do a lumpectomy or a mastectomy. And initially there was some thought that I needed to have a mastectomy that turned out that wasn't actually something that I had to do, um, which I was relieved, I was really worried about having a really big surgery and recovering from that. Like Judy, all of this came about at a different hospital and so I was set up with an oncologist and a surgeon and a plastic surgeon at a different hospital and I set up a surgery because I had this information presented to me at the beginning of February. They said we can get you in to have the double mastectomy as well as the tissue expanders, knowing that I would have reconstructive surgery down the road, we can do that mid-March. In talking with my family, I have um, a doctor in my family who knows of Dr. Ann Partridge and said, I feel very strongly that you try to get an appointment with her. It's Dana-Farber. It's the best place in the world. Please go and meet with her. And I did, and so it ended up, the timing was that I was able to meet with her one week before my scheduled surgery. I met with her right off the bat. I knew I wanted to be under her care, and she was very open, upfront, honest, and said, I'm going to recommend the same course of treatment, the double mastectomy followed by a standard round of chemo. However, I can also offer you to be a part of this trial that we're doing, you would qualify. I did not end up doing the trial. That would have meant that I would have done part of the chemo and put surgery off. And I was, at the time, just needed to move forward. I had talked to work, I had talked to my family. I felt very strongly about having the surgery sooner rather than later. Basically, as soon as I left that meeting with her, I knew that Mentally, emotionally, I needed to move forward with the scheduled surgery. However, I knew I wanted to do my treatment at Dana-Farber under her care. 
I called her the next day. She was totally fine with that. So throughout the process of being at Dana-Farber, after the surgery, she knew of my surgeon. She knew of my team over there, felt as though I was in very good hands. I felt very comfortable with my surgeon, my plastic surgeon, but also really felt positive about doing the treatment here at Dana-Farber. And every meeting that I've had with Dr. Partridge has just been fantastic. She's supportive of me, she's supportive of my family, and I am glad to be under her care moving forward. Can I ask where you were? You mentioned it's just been a little over a year ago. Yes. Do you have children? Was, was your family complete at this time? Well, I do have one daughter. Mm -hmm. She is four years old now, so mm -hmm. at the time she was three, mm -hmm. actually. She turned three last year, right before my surgery. So mm -hmm. I, what, another piece of the team was I met with a child psychologist mm -hmm. prior to surgery to get advice and support around how do I talk to a three-year-old about what's happening. Mm -hmm. I was in agreement with her approach about being open and honest and talking to my daughter, Emma, about what was happening. And in response, I think my daughter handled it really, really well. I'm lucky to have a supportive husband. My parents are in the area, many other family members. Mm -hmm. Another piece that was part of this was that our family, in our opinion, was not necessarily complete. And so the recommendation had been to freeze embryos. Mm -hmm. So the timing was quite interesting in that very shortly after my double mastectomy, I did the egg retrieval mm -hmm. in that process. And so right now we have embryos frozen, which is comforting to know that when Dr. Partridge feels that I'm ready. When my husband and I feel that we're ready, we have those embryos that can be genetically tested mm -hmm. and we plan to use those to complete our family. Mm -hmm. That's such an important point when we're uh, helping young women through the diagnosis and the, the surgery, the breast cancer surgery part, um, while that is certainly a challenging time and a challenging decision to make, um, we have to remember how it affects every, everything else that young women are, are thinking about and focused on. And, and um, particularly you know, in your situation, having the genetic mutation, I'm sure that the decision to remove both breasts was relatively simple. Yes. Um, but for many women, it's a much more challenging um, decision. And where women are with their childbearing can come into play with that sometimes as well, you know, what they would still like to be able to do. Uh, in the future. Mm -hmm. So I was diagnosed at a different hospital and decided to come to Dana-Farber for a second opinion, almost didn't, and then when we came I met with uh, Dr. Partridge, uh, who's my oncologist, and Dr. Golshin, who's my surgeon. It was night and day between my interactions, and, and we liked the other hospital, but this meeting with them was phenomenal. They were both warm, welcoming, clearly experts in their field. They had unbelievable resources. We had asked for a picture of the breast at the other hospitals and the 
doctor drew a picture, whereas we didn't even ask Dr. Golshin, and he pulled up a, a picture of a breast and showed, and, and not even a breast, he pulled up a picture of my breast and said, this is where it is, and was able to zoom in on, uh, on the tumor. Um, so that was amazing. Dr. Partridge had said that she didn't think that uh, mastectomy was necessary. Dr. Golshin agreed that uh, that I could, that I qualified for a lumpectomy. Uh, and then it turned out that Dr. Golshin was doing a study called Amigo, which I don't remember exactly what it stands for, but uh, but in essence, uh, you do a an MRI before your surgery. And then while you're under anesthesia, you do another MRI so that they could look at the area around the tumor to make sure they got all of the cancer cells and make sure that, that there were clean margins. They were looking to see how much did they need to take to get clean margins and to inform other surgeries without MRIs. Anyway, so I was able to participate in that uh, surgery, which was amazing. I only had one surgery, and that was my big fear was having lots of surgeries, was having lots of repercussions. I've heard of a number of women who have chosen to have mastectomies for various reasons and then had lots of issues later on with with implants or whatever. And so I was afraid of all of that. And so for me, having less because it was an option and I don't have the, the genetic uh, mutation, that definitely was better for me to, to do less surgery rather than more. It's so important to highlight that when we're discussing options uh, with women because there is a lot of fear and, and of cancer and a lot of women don't acknowledge the, that there can be some fear or some concerns about the downstream you know, impacts of, of our choices and what we do. And so in women who are not at high risk, who are, who are just feeling the need to remove both breasts because the breasts, you know, betrayed them in some way and they, they feel like, you know, the other one's right around the corner if I don't do this now. It really is important to, to try to give women time to think about all those things that you just suggested, that it's not always a simple solution to just do a bilateral mastectomy and, and everything's going to be fine. There, there can be downstream impacts. There can be more surgeries than we anticipate. There can be more pain than we anticipate. There can be problems with the reconstruction. I always tell my patients that, you know, 95% of the time everything goes perfect, but that 5% of the time we have to be prepared for and we have to have talked about it before it happens so that we can deal with it if or when it does. So there have been so many advances in breast reconstruction, and so when we need to do a mastectomy, it's a great option. But when a woman has a choice like you did, it's important to weigh all the advantages and disadvantages of, of the approaches. And it's nice that you appreciated all that because sometimes it's hard for us to get there with patients when they're so just fearful of the cancer itself. So meeting with the, a patient for the first time, one of the first things that I try to do is to gauge where they are and what their level of understanding is of their diagnosis. I like to start with what I call breast 101, and I have a cartoon picture of a breast and, and the milk ducts, and I show them how breast cancers begin and what are the things that we think about when we're assessing a case and, and thinking about treatment choices. And I always do like to start the visit with telling them first of all that their breast cancer is 
very treatable and very curable because I believe that. And once you say that, then they can actually listen to the rest of the conversation because they're waiting to hear that they're going to be okay. And thankfully, with the advances that we have in our treatments, we can honestly say that to the overwhelming majority of patients that we see. So once we get past that and they relax a little bit, then we start to talk about the choices. And I try to explain that you know most women do have choices and we make decisions for different reasons. We're fortunate that we can offer breast conservation to many women. Some women prefer that, other women prefer mastectomy. The important thing is to realize that the choices are equal in terms of treatment. One is not necessarily better than the other, again, for most women and to be able to appreciate that and to understand that it's okay to make a choice that might be different from what your neighbor made or what your mother wants you to make and to understand that both choices are very good and we need to figure out what's important to that individual patient in making the choice. Certainly there are different situations, as with you, Amanda, where the choice the choice that you made is wasn't so much about better treatment for the cancer that you had, but it was about reducing the risk of having to deal with another cancer in the future, which your risk of that is much higher than someone like Judy who didn't have that consideration. So I think that's also an important piece of information to to make sure the patients are clear about is that when you're choosing bilateral mastectomy, you're not choosing better treatment for the cancer you have, you're choosing risk reduction for the future. And, and we can treat the cancer you have equally well with either option. And so that comes down to considerations about where women are in their life, what other plans they may have, and, and even in someone at high risk doesn't have to do the bilateral mastectomy tomorrow if they don't want to. We could treat the cancer now. They could proceed with you know, perhaps you know, doing a few other things that they wanted to do and come back in a couple of years and do the risk-reducing mastectomy. So there's lots of ways to approach it. We always want to focus on the first cancer, but we also want to try to do things to reduce future risk. And just taking the time to walk through the process with women, understanding it is a process. You know, as you both described, going through a cancer diagnosis is a journey, and you start the journey with fears about certain things. You go through the journey and some things become less important, some things become more important, and you come out on the other end with a whole new set of friends and a whole new sort of outlook. And the reward at the end when you've gone through the process with someone and you see the choices that they've made and that they're happy and satisfied with their choice, um, that's why we come to work every day and, and do this. It is important to discuss the reconstructive options when a woman is considering unilateral mastectomy or bilateral mastectomy, simply because often there's a misconception that breast reconstruction is, is similar to having uh, breast augmentation. And so I think it's important to walk through, well, after a mastectomy, you're going to lose sensation in the skin of the breast. So although we will make it look as normal and as healthy as we can and it will be your skin it won't feel like your breast or you won't feel yourself uh, you won't have the same sensation when someone else touches the skin of your breast the choices are both using implants and using your own tissue they're both very good choices very good outcomes it's important to explain to women that whichever uh, choice they make that will 
be equally effective at being able to monitor them, that they don't have to worry that one choice is going to potentially mask breast cancer recurrence. If we need to find one, we'll still be able to do that. And although the procedures are quite different up front as far as the length of time that the operations take and as far as the, re the recovery period, I think the most important message is to help women understand what the long-term outcome is going to be. And so, you know, again, I think as a woman, you sort of have to talk to women as women about what the expectation is from the different types of reconstruction and, and help them feel comfortable expressing what's important to them about the reconstruction because it's different than sitting and looking at pictures of somebody else because those pictures of somebody else won't necessarily reflect what you're going to look like or feel like. When I found out it was cancer, it was very upsetting. However, I have felt the whole time, and I strongly believe that my husband has felt the whole time, how lucky are we? How grateful that all of this came up when it did. My OBGYN asking that question when she did, you know, and not waiting several years. And so we've really, the emotions have really been, how lucky that it was brought up when it, when it was. How lucky that I made a decision to really be proactive and not sit on this information for a long period of time. How fortunate am I that it was stage one. It's tricky because of my genetic mutation putting me at such a high risk, not only for the breast cancer, but ovarian cancer as well, which is a whole nother level of what I am working through and dealing with and have to, having to think about. But there are days that were, there were days that were challenging, but overall I have to say that looking back and also moving forward, I've been very positive. My support system has been very positive. And we just come back to the point where, thank goodness, it was found when it was. It was early, it was treatable, it's curable. And making the best out of the situation, you know, having the reconstructive surgery and putting a positive spin on it, as Dr. King said, you know, new set of breasts, mm -hmm. you know, and saying, oh, this is fun, you know, mm -hmm. this is exciting. And just looking at the silver lining instead of, oh, my, oh, I cannot believe I had cancer, I cannot believe I'm 33 and just diagnosed. Okay, let's move forward with this process. Let's do what we need to do. I think what took it from one level to the next, for me personally, was finding out about the chemo. I think I was naive in the sense that I thought I didn't know enough about the specific cancer. I didn't know enough about the genetic mutation. So in my mind, I think I had this wishful thinking where I'd have this surgery and that was that. However, when the initial oncologist talked about the standard course of treatment, for me being chemo, that made it feel different. And I, I did have a very hard time dealing with that. However, there was never a doubt in my mind that I would not do the chemo. I thought it's going to be really, really tough for a short period of time in my life. And the outcome is going to be way better than sitting and thinking, did I not do enough? If it comes back, 
I should have done, I should have done the chemo. Why didn't I just do the chemo? And so I have no regrets about any of the decisions that I made, both with the double mastectomy and with the chemotherapy, because I want to be able to live my life knowing I've done everything that was recommended and everything in my power to reduce the risk of a reoccurrence. Obviously being diagnosed with uh, breast cancer is scary, overwhelming, um, frightening, um, makes you angry, sad, the whole gamut. And coming to Dana-Farber really helped me put it all in perspective. It's amazing that they can individualize the treatment. So what is right for Amanda isn't necessarily right for me and Dr. Partridge and Dr. Golshan were able to say this is how we see your cancer and what we would recommend for you. Dr. Partridge pretty quickly figured out that I'm a less is more person. And so um, once I had had the surgery and we did an oncotype test on my tumor, I then was in the gray area and had to decide whether or not to do chemo. And because I'm part of Dana-Farber, I'm a a patient here, there are so many options. And uh, Dr. Partridge told me about Uh, another treatment with ovarian suppression, which uh, for people in my situation without the genetic uh, mutation often have negative benefit of chemo. We were talking with her on the phone and and she said, why don't you come in tomorrow? And she got an appointment for us. First thing in the morning we came in and she showed us a study that showed that, uh, like I said, that there was negative benefit to doing chemo. And that made, that had a huge impact on me. And so the treatment that we did um, to reduce my chances of a recurrence uh, involved ovarian suppression instead of doing uh, chemo. And, And the results are virtually the same as doing chemo. I was very fearful of of chemo, more for my kids than for myself. I have two two daughters. They were maybe seven and 10. The Oncotype test is a study that looks at a woman's individual tumor and measures a certain number of genes that are turned on or turned off in that individual woman's breast cancer. We use the Oncotype test in women who have estrogen receptor positive breast cancers. That's the group that it was um, designed for and, and validated in. And it helps us to understand two things about that woman's breast cancer. It helps us understand what the risk of recurrence will be, and it helps us to understand if that particular breast cancer will be sensitive to chemotherapy or not. And as Judy mentioned, it's not simply a yes-no. There's a low risk, an intermediate risk, and a high risk. And if you're in the low risk group, then we feel very confident saying that you don't need chemotherapy and in fact you won't benefit even if we gave it to you. If you're in the high risk group, then we feel very confident saying that although you have a cancer that's sensitive to estrogen and we want to block estrogen, we also feel very strongly about giving you chemotherapy because we have this genomic evidence, molecular evidence, that your cancer will respond to chemotherapy. And then, as Judy mentioned, there's an intermediate risk group where the answer's not so clear yet, and there's ongoing research uh, to look at that. And so it can be challenging to make that decision for yourself or with your doctors, but as Judy described, there are 
so many other research studies that are either ongoing or completed in the last few years, providing us with more information and more options and uh, suppressing the ovaries in addition to blocking estrogen has demonstrated itself to be a very effective strategy. And nobody wants to have breast cancer, but, but breast cancer is a field where uh, we've come so far in such a short period of time, not only with our surgical procedures and, and doing less surgery now, but also with our medical treatments. And we're on the frontier of also backing off on, on radiation treatments or shortening radiation treatments. And so we're really trying to identify the women where less is more mm -hmm. and then identify the women where we still need to do more. That's, you know, ultimately at the end, you know, improving outcomes for everybody. Going through the whole um, process, it's such a um, an up and down. There are days where you still can't believe you, that you ever had it, but now that I'm almost four years out, I'm in such a better place. I've met so many amazing people, and yes, I would much rather have never have had cancer, but I'm so glad to have met people like Amanda. I have an, another friend who I started a walk team with, and it's been an amazing, amazing community. I would say that, that women should think about what's best for them and what feels comfortable and right to them. And it's really important to consider not just your fear of cancer coming back, but how all the different steps in the treatment and the surgeries are going to affect you and play a part in your life. And there are definitely situations where that will make sense. I think listening to yourself and what makes the most sense for you is really important. I agree, and asking all of the questions and not being afraid to ask because you need the answers in terms of making the right decision for you and not what other people think you should do or other, you know, things that you've read or heard. It's, it, it's about you and what's best for you to be able to live the rest of your life and focusing on this is one piece of my life and I'm going to move past this and I'm going to do what I need to do and this is not going to define me for the rest of my life. It will be something that I have conquered and dealt with and have survived and that has been what I've been trying to focus on and trying to look at how fortunate we are to have the advances in medicine and technology today because if this had been many, many years ago, you know, Judy and I would probably potentially have a different story. So focusing on the positive and that's not going to be easy to do every day, but take it one day at a time, I think would be my biggest advice. And that's great advice from both of you. And, and I really like the fact that you both said to, you know, think about what's right for you and not what somebody else thinks you should do because we, our society is so connected to today and you can get advice or information from so many places. And um, it's important for patients to realize that their situation may be very different than somebody else's. And so just because somebody told you what they did and they were happy with it, it doesn't mean that that's what you 
need to do. And so asking all the questions and getting all the information that you need about the choices and understanding the choices, you know, understanding that there's two sides to every coin. And the way we practice today is, is very different. And 10 years ago, we didn't have the Oncotype test. And so we can much more confidently tell people that many times less is more. So it's, um, it's a very exciting time to be in the field. And, and it's wonderful to hear your stories and to know that you're both happy and satisfied and have come through this, this journey with, with positive um, thoughts and, and can really help other women by sharing this. Thank you for listening to this episode of Voices, featuring breast cancer patients Amanda and Judy, and Dr. Terry King, Chief of Breast Surgery at the Susan F. Smith Center for Women's Cancers at Dana-Farber Brigham and Women's Cancer Center. To hear more episodes of Voices and learn about other podcasts from Dana-Farber, visit www.danafarber.org podcasts.